This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis, and we're back after a short break for the summer holidays. Hope everybody else managed to have uh, a good break, whatever you were doing. Um, I certainly did. Um, And for this first episode back, we are speaking to uh, a guest. It's Rob Cope, the director of Remember Charity, which is a campaign here in the UK, which seeks to try and uh, boost the legacy giving market and sort of people giving through their wills. Uh, And ahead of Remember Charity Week, which is coming up next week, and I'll put links in the show notes to that, Rob and I sat down for a chat all about charitable legacy giving, the charitable legacy giving market, kind of what that is, how it's grown over recent years, kind of what's been going on uh, with it during the pandemic. There's some sort of interesting things that people might not be aware of there. Uh, and what might happen in the future. So we talked about, you know, what legacy giving is and kind of how it's changed over time, particularly here in the UK, and sort of what role it currently plays uh, in the overall landscape for funding for charities here. Um, We looked at why, you know, if there has been a growth in legacy giving, as there seems to have been, what it is that's driven that, whether it's uh, more people leaving wills overall, whether it's more people leaving gifts in their wills when they do, or just sort of greater awareness of legacy giving uh, as a potential thing that you can do. Um, We looked from the point of view of charities at kind of whether legacy giving was just another bit of funding or a type of funding in the overall mix or whether there were sort of specific strengths or things attributes to legacy funding that were of interest to charities and we talked a bit about the kind of psychology of why people leave legacies to charities and how that might make them different from other kinds of gifts and what legacy fundraisers might do to try and sort of adapt what they do um, to to appeal to people uh, on that psychological basis and we talked about you know the way in which legacy fundraising is unusual and that it kind of inevitably carries implications of people talking about death and mortality and whether that was a sort of fundamental challenge for people when it came to legacy fundraising because we're having to deal with things that we're often not very comfortable talking about and we talked quite a lot about the specific impact of the covid pandemic on legacy gifts and fundraising um the way in which uh sort of awareness of mortality might have increased the the greater sensitivities that fundraisers might have had to think through as they were trying to deal with talking to a kind of constituent base of donors who are slightly older and obviously kind of uh, in the front line of being impacted by the COVID pandemic and probably quite sort of concerned about that. We talked about some of the sort of practical challenges that there had been for organisations that were in receipt of legacy gifts in terms of actually kind of freeing up the money because processes such as the sale of property and going through probate might have stopped temporarily. Um, We talked about the way in which kind of legacy fundraising for new donors may have been affected by the inability to to undertake face-to-face interactions anymore. And we also talked about interesting things like whether the the impact the COVID pandemic and lockdown measures that were put in place had on things like funerals had resulted in people uh, thinking about giving more kind of in-memoriam gifts and whether that would come alongside or instead of, of legacy gifts and how those two things might might have uh, interacted. And then we also talked about what the, the longer kind of economic impact of the pandemic might be on the legacy market. Um, we then just touched on a few things about uh, what the future might hold for legacy gifts and kind of whether uh, there were challenges in the fact that the sort of in- inherently uncertain nature of a legacy gift, which is a sort of pledge rather than actual transfer of money, made it present specific challenges for, for charities and how they overcome those. Um, uh, and Rob then kind of gave us a bit of information on what Remember Charity Week is uh, and kind of how uh, charities and, and donors can get involved. So without further ado, let's get into the chat and I will be back at the end for a little bit of housekeeping and tidying up. Okay, great. So I'm here with Rob Cope. Hi there, Rob. Hello. 
Uh, and Rob uh, is director of Remember a Charity. Um, and we're here today to talk about charitable legacies and the work you do and some of the sort of wider issues and particularly some interesting things that have been happening during the whole period of the COVID pandemic and lockdown in terms of uh, what people are thinking about legacies and kind of how that market's changing. Um, but maybe the best starting point is for you just to say a bit in your own words about who you are and kind of what you do and what Remember a Charity does. Yeah, hi. I mean, I think you know, Remember Charity, it, I think it's a huge success story for the charity sector, actually. Um, this year marks 20 years of uh, Remember Charity. And, you know, not that that's a success in itself, but actually what it's testament to is the fact that, you know, charities have got together and collaborated, identified a way of growing a particular area of giving and collaborated. And I think that's one of the huge strengths and opportunities going forward around uh, the sector. So um, 20 years ago, a small group of directors of fundraising got together and said, you know, how do we uh, grow giving and what's the best opportunity for growing giving? And, and, you know, in those early days, they really identified the opportunity around gifts and wills. And at that time, I think it was around about just under 4% of the UK uh, left a gift in a will. Um, and, you know, over time, we've seen that grow and grow. And what's really, what continues to be exciting, I think, is that where, where we're seeing, you know, kind of real challenge around kind of how do we grow giving, the legacy giving continues to grow. Um, and now remember a charity 20 years later, it's a consortium of uh, just under 200 charities of all sizes, big charities, medium sized, small charities. And I think, you know, in my time, the last 10 years, we've seen a really exciting acceleration of change. Um, uh, you know, seeing much more the smaller charities get involved and in talking about legacies for the first time. We're seeing different causes get involved. So I think, you know, that, that now more than ever, the need for collaboration, the need to work together uh, has really sort of strengthened that idea of of being able to to find new ways of in, 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 to grow giving. Yeah, absolutely. And if, um, as it seems from certainly all the figures I've seen, the the legacy part of the the charitable giving market does seem to have been a big growth area over the last 10, 20 years. Um, you know, what's your perception of why that is? Is it just that charities themselves are kind of promoting it more as a way that you can give is it that the public's more aware or or is it also partly that people are getting better at leaving wills in the first place so that they have the opportunity to do it yeah that's a that's a great question that's a big question and a great question <laughs> um i think i think it's if you look so i always think about how do you grow legacies how do you grow any area of giving i i liken it to how do you change behavior around organ donation or how do you encourage more people to recycle? To change behavior, you need to, lots of different levers. You need to drive different levers of change. Um, and it's the same with legacies. It's the same with, you know, so, so over this last 20 years, we have seen that growth in, in legacies. It's now generating over three billion pounds a year. More and more people are doing it. We can see that by the figures of the percentage of estates uh, probate that have a charitable gift. So we know absolutely that that behavior is changing. You know, death rates go up and down each year. But within that, that percentage of people that, uh, who choose to leave a charitable gift, that is growing. Um, why that is, I think there are a lot, there are many different reasons. We do an annual tracking survey and we can clear, see very clearly that the awareness of the idea, the, the idea of being able to leave a gift in, in a will is at its highest ever. And, and those who are unaware is at its lowest level. So about 11% of the UK, and we monitor this every year, uh, say that they're unaware that you can leave a gift in a will. And I think that historically that was always a big challenge. You know, how do you, how do you create that awareness that this is another piece of, of giving? And historically, you know, that, that really remember a charity or the legacy promotion campaign as it was when it first uh, was set out was really about how do you, um, it, you know, remind people, let people know that they can do it. So that's one lever awareness. But I think that what we've seen over time is we've also seen that yes, more charities are championing it. More charities are also 
being able to be more confident talking about it internally. And that's one of the things that we've really done at Remember Charity is giving the confidence within the charity sector to have that conversation with trustees, with chief executives. So that's a massive thing. And I'm sure that many people listening to this will, will certainly know, identify with that. You know, uh, I was talking to a charity yesterday and, and they'd never promoted legacies. And they said, you know, I'm a bit nervous about how I how um, how we talk about this internally, um, and our trustees and chief executive is nervous about it. And that is a pattern that we see time and time again. But we're seeing more and more charities benefiting from legacies, and more of them getting involved. And the last thing I think is that you know the the legal sector. What we're seeing is is that we we've, we've certainly spent a lot of time and energy um, shifting behaviour shifting behavior of, of the of solicitors and will writers and we know now that you know the the, the percentage of um of, of people of, of advisors who have that conversation about charitable giving is now like 68 percent five years ago that was like 50 percent so we've really shifted their behavior so it's not just the consumer behavior it's also the people who are giving the advice to the clients and so i think that it's the mix of mix of pieces a mix of levers that you need to do to operate to grow giving and I think that's one of the great ways that um, legacies have and that's one of the reasons why legacies have been able to grow and grow and grow. Yeah and and from the point of view of of the charities themselves those who have kind of overcome some of those barriers to talking about it internally and made legacies a, a part of their overall fundraising um, mix what is it is there something sort of particular about legacies that appeals do they have a, a unique value that that works for the charity or are they just seen as you know a, another way of diversifying income i think what's re- what's been really interesting what i've reflected on during this pandemic which you know you know has been such a huge huge challenge for for the sector is you know how do you how do you balance the between the rising demand and 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 the shortfall of income the legacies have helped charities to become financially resilient now, because at a time where we've been had to turn off the taps unfortunately in other areas of public fundraising you know, for many of the charities I spoke to, it was the legacies that they'd recently received that were being realised. They were actually keeping their frontline services going. And I think that, you know, we're always balancing that challenge about short-term income versus long-term. And what legacies offers is that ability to plan for the long term you know the whole proposition of legacies is about continuing the charity's future work um and those charities that have invested in legacies invested and are confident about talking about legacies have seen their income grow over time and that's been the foundations with which that they can do new things that they can continue frontline services and to do new things now and so for some of the charities you know that that might fund up to 60, 70% of their total work. So I think that often, you know, legacies have been the kind of the, the almost the sort of poor relation of fundraising because it was, you know, at one time perceived to be, oh, that's money that just comes in. But, but we've seen a much more sophisticated uh, approach now and people really understand how to grow legacies and that actually, like any other area of fundraising, if you don't ask, you don't get uh, and people understanding that and, and, and the importance of that as is, is part of the mix. And, and how does it relate to the other forms of giving that a charity might be receiving in the sense that, you know, the legacy donors that an organisation has, do they tend to be a totally distinct group from the other donors? Or is it actually more the case that you have existing donors that you've built a relationship with and they're therefore more likely to leave a legacy or or conversely that you engage somebody in giving a legacy gift and actually once that's secured you can kind of work backwards to developing them as a as a regular donor yeah i mean it's a, you know what what we often hear is oh well i just received a legacy from someone and they went on our database as if there's no relationship with that donor and i think this is the one of the big challenges that many charities face is because you know i have left three gifts in my will to charities uh, and i'm I'm not um, a regular donor to any of those three organisations. 
But I am a supporter. I am, I have benefited from their services. Um, let me give you one example. So um, my, uh, my daughter was in intensive care when she was very little um, and they saved her life many times. And when I decided to write my will, I left to, to them as one of the three charities as a way of saying thank you. Now I have an interaction with them. I, you know, our family have been a beneficiary of them. So um, you know, we are we are supporters, but I chose to support them in a, in a particular way. Um, and for for other organisations that I have supported in my will, I've got other connections with them. So this is why we always say, I always say to charities, you have to think way, way beyond about your supporters on your database, which is essentially what you're saying, because there will be a bigger cohort of supporters who are not on your database. So, for example, the supporter regularly goes into your charity shop. The supporter who regularly looks at advice and, uh, uh, on your website, you know, who might follow you on social media, who might see your stories in the news and, and be passionately aligned with the values of that organisation. Or they might have, the, that, that charity might have supported a, another family member. So this is why, let, you know, for, for charities, there are almost like four different groups. There are those people within it who said, yes, I've left a gift to you in my will. They're sort of the small group of people who are the pledges. Then you've got a second group who are the supporters on your database who say, yeah, you know, I, I, that's the people that you regularly cultivate. But the, the next group, the supporters not on your database, that's an even bigger group and an opportunity. And then there's an even bigger group, and which is what Remember Charity does as part of it, is to, is to reach an even bigger group of those people who might never have even uh, considered leaving a gift in a will, who might, but you might grab their attention and you have to find what new ways of reaching them. And this is why legacies are so interesting they're fascinating because because you need to be able to reach and appeal to all those four groups and i think that that's why that so often that that the legacy fundraisers come under such great pressure because they that they, they the, the things that they're asked to measure are not necessarily always the things that they can measure or should measure yeah i know i agree i think the the psychology of what motivates people to give is is always interesting i think it's particularly interesting in the case of legacies as you say because there are actually many different possible things I, that i could think of that could drive people and your know, question it raises to me questions like whether actually for some people it is sort of the only opportunity they will have you know in their life or just beyond it to make a sort of significant lump sum gift and actually the psychology of that for somebody who's not used to doing it is very different to you know an annual a sort of 10 pound per month direct debit so actually they might think about giving to different causes as a result um i'd be yeah sort of really interesting do you know of sort of good examples within the legacy fundraising world of you know organizations who are kind of thinking about how to appeal to those different motivations beyond their existing uh, donor base and are sort of doing that in a smart way yeah i mean i think that, look, i mean you know a, a lot of the uh, bigger charities and even a lot many of the smaller charities are doing that in a, in, in a very sophisticated way they totally understand the need to drip feed the legacy message you'll hear this a lot from legacy fundraisers about the need to drip feed through all channels, which is kind of like, you know, obviously a lot of sort of sector speak and marketing speak, but the reality is this is about being loud about legacies, loud about legacies across all different areas. And, and you know, you only have to look to some of those bigger charities who absolutely embed the importance of legacies. And from a very simple point of view, they'll have a trust, a champion as a trust, um, a trustee as a, a legacy champion. They'll have a, a chief executive who's very, you know, who's very confident about talking about the importance of it. They'll regularly tell their story, the, the legacy story in their, in their newsletter. They'll regularly use their social media to be able to drip feed that. Um, and it's certainly interesting that, that during the, the early part of the pandemic, we at Remember Charity, we, we, we said, well, we're going to have to do things differently. So we decided rather than sort of pushing a legacy message, we just told the stories of how charities were, were stepping up. 
during the crisis, just told their story in the very emotional connection, emotional connection, with a kind of, you know, a, 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 an end line, a call to action that just says, well, one of the ways to give is legacies. And we had a big attraction. We, we reached more people than those two months than we probably did from the last six months of the previous year. Um, we saw huge, huge numbers of people who were engaging with the stories because they were emotionally connecting. And this is what I mean. It's about how, you know, the, many of the charities who were successful with legacies, they're not afraid to tell those stories, but also tell them and connect them to the power of, 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 of how, you know, of, of how charities can help in the future and connecting those stories to legacies. And, and you'll see many, many examples out there. Um, for example, they are in a lie. You know, they've got um, six in ten of their lifeboats are funded by gifts and wills. And you know, you see, for years and years, they've embedded the legacy message across everything that they do. Um, and many of other examples out there. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it'll it'll bring us on, I think, to talking more broadly about what's happened during the pandemic. But just just to to close off this thought, it makes me think. You know, one of the other elements of um legacy gifts for the donor and the sort of psychology of it that's different to others is that it inherently sort of involves or implies talking about death and that's not something that many of us are are that good at how do do people sort of involved in the legacy fundraising world try and kind of navigate some of the the sensitivities about that and kind of recognize that that whilst they're trying to convey a positive message about the, the power of legacy gifts, it also sort of involves making people think about mortality and other things that they might not be very comfortable with. Yeah, this is this is a great question. And, and, and actually, this was the very the very thing that this small charity, joined the member charity this week. Um, they and they said to me, Rob, you know what what the problem I've got is our trustees don't want us to. To, to do legacies because they're worried about, um, uh, you know, the, the aligning it with death and the, the death message. And I hear this, I hear this every single day, every single day from charities who are concerned, not necessarily themselves as fundraisers, but, but from the work from, from, from within their own organization. And, and the other thing I would add to that is that, you know, we've seen now there are about 20 consortiums around the world who, who are similar to Remember Charity. You know, there's one recently set up in South Korea, there's one in Japan, Austria, Australia, all around the world that have learned from the UK and, and, and now collaborating and learning. And we, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to them and sharing uh, as part of that. Every single culture, every single country comes across this question of how do we deal with death? You know, it's it's different in our country, they say, <laughs> and of course it's not, because we're we're human beings. And the point is, it's about um, symbolic immortality. Claire Routley talks about this a lot. Um, for those who know Claire, and you know, symbolic immortality is the opportunity, and legacies are an opportunity to live on. So it's nothing to do with. It's not a morbid proposition, actually. You know, when I left my gifts in my will, it wasn't a morbid thing. It was a really powerful, positive experience. And I think that those who do it well understand that it's about the opp presenting the opportunity to live on be beyond your own life. And you can only realise, you can only leave a gift when you're alive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> So I left my my gifts in my will a few years ago. I'm, I'm thankfully still here. So I hear this a lot, um, but I think it's just another way of giving. Um, of course, it's realised when you die, but the, the reality is you're not telling that story. You're simply telling a story about being an opportunity to support a charity well beyond, you know, for year, for generations to come. And that is a really powerful, powerful message and opportunity if I was to say to you, you could support by supporting two or three charities, your values, the things you care about, the charities you care about, could continue for the next generation and the generation after that. It's immensely powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that brings us on to a, a sort of neat segue into talking about the pandemic, I guess, because one thing that I saw certainly in the early stages of the pandemic was some evidence that things like online will writing services had seen a big surge in people taking them up. And, and as part of that, you know, a, a very high number of people, including 
a charitable legacy as part of it. And there were all kinds of suggestions what the underlying causes might be and whether it was that people were sort of more aware of issues around mortality and thinking more about those things and, and sort of planning for, for that um, at that point. Um, you know, did, did, does that reflect your experience and kind of more broadly, how have you seen this whole period around the pandemic affect uh, the charitable legacy market? Yeah, legacies. It was a really, really challenging time for legacies. Um, challenging for all different all different areas of fundraising. Obviously, I think there were a unique set of challenges with fun with legacy fundraising. First of all, you uh, primarily you're reaching. You know, legacy marketing is appealing to an older demographic, a demographic who were more likely to uh, have died as a result of being affected by COVID. So there was an inevitable sensitivity. People were already sensitive about legacies. <laughs> so there was an immediate sensitivity. How do, you, how do you continue to talk about legacies without offending, without upsetting? That was the first thing. The second thing we saw was at the same time, as you say, a huge increase in the numbers of people who were inquiring about writing their will. Suddenly, life seems very fragile. All the things that we took for granted we're now being put into question. You know, that it was all kind of, our lives were all being turned upside down. So people were still, we were absolutely wanting to write their will. Um, we were seeing a big surge. I know um, on our own remember charity website, we saw double the number of people um, who were, you know, wanting to find out how to leave a gift in their will, how to, to do that. So we saw that big, big surge. Um, so there was a real battle there as to how you continue to talk about legacies because people and, and, but do it sensitively. And what we saw is that I saw that all the charities I spoke to, a real spectrum of decisions, which was fascinating. Some charities just went completely switched off. They stopped legacy marketing completely. Some charities said, we're going to remain front of mind, but do it sensitively. And some of them said, you know, we're, we're going to we're going to we had some legacy campaigns planned, but we're going to move them until later in the year. And some charities furloughed all their legacy staff and they didn't they couldn't do anything on legacies at all or even sometimes redeployed staff to other areas. So I think that there in a nutshell illustrates the challenges that they face. But but, you know, we also saw that many of the gifts that were realised last year that were being received by charities, the charities had relied on those legacies to be sold in the spring through house sales and so on. And they couldn't sell them because obviously they weren't allowed to, you know, they, they locked on estate agents. So the legacy administration became even more important. And I think often we don't talk enough about legacy administration, the importance that they do and the great job that ILM do on that. I must say, uh, absolutely fantastic job supporting their members to be able to, to make the most of those gifts that were realised. So there was a whole blend of, of, of challenges that legacies were facing. Um, and I think the ones that did it really well did it sensitively, told the stories of why their charity was, was relevant to the consumer, but also reminded them of all the ways to give, including a legacy. And I think doing it that way around meant that they were front of mind, but without, but, but, but not overtly pushing the legacy message. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to hear about those yeah, sort of more practical administrative challenges, because I guess those are ones that might not necessarily um occur to people uh with with gifts that are that are already sort of there on paper but actually can't be accessed because as you say there's things like property sales so it's impossible to complete probate possibly um linked to that i mean guess one one thing certainly in those you know early periods when we were under strict lockdown that got a, a lot of attention was the impact it was having on the sort of normal end of life um processes and and sort of um uh, ceremonies such as funerals um, and I've seen some things and I think you've you've sort of mentioned this in things you've written that actually um, there's been uh, during this period a sort of rise not not in legacy gifts but in sort of in memoriam gifts perhaps from those who who are still alive who want to commemorate a loved one and perhaps that's linked to the fact that it's been more difficult to have you know a ceremonial way of marking 
uh, end of life uh, for people that have that have been lost during the pandemic. Um, do, do you think that is you know how does that kind of tie into what's going been going on with with legacies? Do you think? Yeah, I think um, I think people you know obviously it it broke my heart actually. It, it makes me very very sad to think about it to those poor families who weren't able to say goodbye to their loved ones I mean that you know it, it, it broke my heart um, and I think it really what it did is it I think it made, made people reflect on how fragile life is the importance of their family um, the importance of really looking after the things that, that really mattered to them in, um, throughout their lives and celebrating it so maybe on the back of this, we will see a, a shift in attitude towards celebration of life and being able to connect that. Um, and I know, you know, that, that, that we've certainly seen that people want to, I mean, perhaps there's an opportunity there within, in, uh, in men about the, the, the ability to say thank you to those organisations uh, that matter them and connecting it to the to the to the donor as well um but i think that that i think people have gone through a huge amount of reflection and i, I and you know I, I remember when my auntie died um a, a few years ago and you know typical she didn't ask they didn't want the family didn't want flowers they didn't want anything they just wanted to leave a donation to the hospice that had helped her in the last few months um and that, you know, that that still resonates with me now. And there clearly is a link. Um, Legacy Foresight have talked about this, about the link between in memoriam and, and legacy fundraising. And I think that, again, this is about an opportunity for people to, to reflect about what matters to them and how charities have played a part in their family's life. You know, when I think to my aunt, I think that the role that that charity played in her life you know, makes, makes me have a very strong emotional connection. I think about the donation I made to that charity and I still think about that now and it still resonates really strongly and it's an emotional response. So, yeah, I think that we will undoubtedly see a shift in behaviour. I think that perhaps more charities are now switching on to, um, you know, thinking about in, in memoriam and thinking about how that is part of the mix. Um and being able to think about how that works in, uh, alongside legacies uh, and alongside other areas of, of uh, fundraising. Yeah, I, I, you may not have, have the answer to this, but it's, I was just wondering as you were talking there whether the, uh, the in memoriam gifts, it seems not in all cases, but maybe if they're left um, to, to mark someone else by the family who are, who are still around, there's, there's sort of higher likelihood that it is directly linked to an organization that may have been involved in the kind of end of life care or in supporting that person um, in their in their final years whereas a legacy gift certainly one that has been made earlier in life that that link wouldn't necessarily be there it just made me I, I realized I didn't ask up front you know in terms of legacy gifts is there any particular kind of skewing of the types of causes to which legacy gifts are left in any particular direction I mean they're more likely to go to organizations involved in medical care um, or, or dealing with older people or is it a pretty broad mix of causes? You mean in terms of the, the, those charities are more likely to, to, to benefit from? Yeah, to be in receipt of, of legacy gifts. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, clearly, clearly, you know, I think that um, Legacy Foresight did some great, great work on this um, a, a, a while ago. Um, and we're certainly seeing that, 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 more charities are benefiting from this form of giving um, and undoubtedly there will be those those types of causes that will probably be disproportionately more likely to benefit so again coming back to my example thinking about my aunt you know that was a that was a really kind of raw example of, of someone of a charity that helped someone in the in the dying months um, she sadly had cancer in, in those last few months of her life. And I think that, you know, that undoubtedly there'll, there'll be you know, many of those types of charities that are probably more likely to have benefited, benefit from, from, um, from in memoriam giving. 
Um, and, and just coming back to the the impact of um, of the pandemic, I mean, one of the other things that that I was wondering in terms of not so much the the existing legacy gifts or kind of executing you know gifts that were already there and going through the process of it, but in terms of um, the ongoing process of legacy fundraising, has that become more challenging in the same way as many other forms of fundraising have because of the the impossibility of doing face to face interactions? Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's actually yeah was another great great example. So yeah, stewardship has been a really big challenge, hasn't it? Um, if we think about you know charities' ability to obviously they can't meet their supporters uh, in the same way and steward them in the same way. So we've seen many charities do that, um, you know, in new ways, digitally, uh, invariably. Um, so you know, clearly that that that's been an area of of innovation. Also, if you think about the importance of community fundraisers, and we don't talk about this enough, about the importance of community fundraisers to be able to talk to have that conversation about legacies. Uh, and you know, the, the, I think that the community fundraisers have a huge role to play in 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 embedding the culture of legacy fundraising. Um, and we think about some many great success stories in the past, such as uh, NSPCC, you know, the, the embedding it, helping and teaching everyone to have that, be comfortable with that conversation. And obviously during the pandemic, they weren't able to do that uh, in, in the same way. So that uncertain, that certainly had presented a huge challenge for legacy fundraisers to be able to, to, to be able to talk about that. Uh, easily and, and properly so so I think going forward probably what we'll start to see is that again adopting these new ways uh, of reaching people but it also I think presents an opportunity because um, as many of us know within our own experiences you know that that we've been able to reach new people that we ordinarily might not have done you know, so so being able to reach people, more people through uh, uh, digitally, for example, it's not the same. It's different, but there is an opportunity there to reach new new audiences. And I think that going forward, legacy fundraisers and the whole of fundraising in the sector are obviously going to have to adapt to that and to find new ways of reaching people. But there is definitely an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what the balance, the final balance that we strike between, you know, the, those elements that we've kind of learned by necessity over this short term period, um, we, we keep hold of and, and which elements we realise uh, we've kind of missed during this period and we, we go back to. And I think that blend between sort of digital and offline will will be one that we kind of have to, to arrive at. Um, and I just wanted to ask, actually, on a sort of final question on the pandemic, I mean, going, looking slightly further ahead, are there any sense among people in the 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 legacy fundraising world about what the the impact of the kind of short and medium term economic uh, likely economic downturn caused by the pandemic is going to have because it it seems at the moment as though actually markets are relatively resilient to it but most of the predictions i've seen are suggesting that you know we're heading for a recession and, and quite a bad one is is that going to impact the the value of legacies yeah, absolutely. Of course, of course it is. I mean, there, there've been um, again, Legacy Foresight have been constantly uh, updating their own forecasts um, about you know the, the the impact that that's going to have. Um, of course, no one actually knows you know the extent to which they're um, having you know the the, the property sales uh, the market will have and share price. Is, but yeah, obviously, um, you know, for, for, for most charities, the bulk of their income comes from residual gifts, so not cash gifts, but a percentage of an estate. And so the the the, the house market and the, and and share prices uh, are inextricably linked to the to the value of legacies. But I think that often people can that mix up these these two points um, around. The, the the overall value, and we're obviously interested as fundraisers in the sector, we're interested in the, the income that Legacies brings in. But the good news is, is that's why we need to continue to grow 
the pie, the numbers of people who consider and will leave a gift in a will. Because otherwise, as we know, and this is what Remember Charity is, you know, that's the whole point of it, is we've seen over the last 20 years, more and more and more charities come into the market and it squeezed the market share. So if we think about some of the biggest charities, you know, they might have had a third of the market and now it's about a quarter. If we think about that, the only way to grow income in the long run will be to grow the market, the overall market, um, because inevitably there will be there will be peaks and troughs of um, house prices and share prices, which will drive the which will drive the income. And in many ways, you know, we can't do that much about that, can we? We don't have an impact on that. What we can do is grow the numbers of people who give. And, you know, that's why, you know, if ever there was a great example of why we need to continue to collaborate, it's this because we have to be able to 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 make sure that the sector is resilient as possible and um, to these fluctuations in the market. Uh, but, yeah, of course, over the next sort of 12 months, we're definitely going to see a drop in value. But the good news is over the over the uh, over the next five years, we're going to see that increase. We're going to see the value, the, the, the overall amount of money that Legacies brings in will will grow and grow. Uh, and the final point here is, is I think that, you know, when other areas of fundraising have really, you know, sadly struggled because we've not been able to get out on street, uh, street fundraising, door to door fundraising, other event uh, fundraising, you know, Legacies have become more important than ever. So thank goodness, <laughs> Twi people 20 years ago, those, those fundraising directors who got together and decided to be able to really push and champion legacies, thank goodness that, that, that they did that because we've seen that we're now reaping the benefits of, that, uh, of, of those decisions. And I think that um, you know, that's why we always need to have one eye on how we grow giving and it's always a constant challenge i know that obviously you <laughs> have spent many 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 uh many days and, and years looking at and reviewing and thinking about but but i think that you know that this pandemic has really shone a light on the importance of why you know, shown why legacies is, is so important yeah absolutely um, i just um i'm aware i'm in danger of keeping you all together too long i just wanted to sort of move on from that just to ask uh, a few more questions about Kind of some of the, the challenges that might face um, legacy fundraising sort of now and, and with a view to the future. Um, I guess one of them that, that is sort of interesting is that you know, legacies by their nature are a bit different from a gift where you already kind of as an organisation have you know received the cash immediately. It's a sort of promise to, to give the cash at, at a point in the future. Does, does that ever present challenges in for charities in that they sort of they know that there's always a possibility that somebody will revise their will and change the gift if it's one that they know about you know beforehand you know does that affect the way in which a charity plans or actually even after a gift has been has been made you know there are a reasonable number of sort of high profile cases of um next of kin challenging some of those gifts so, so how do people in the the legacy fundraising world think about about that kind of thing yeah i i mean and and actually, that illustrates. There's no doubt. Obviously, stewardship is really important, and trust. Trust is, as we know, is is one of the is one of the biggest, uh, you know, drivers of of giving and the need to 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 um, keep the trust of the donor. Because, as you rightly say, people can change their mind. Um, I remember, charity we focus on uh, on those who are 55 plus. So potentially there is a long, long time between someone when you know they're, they they're in their late fifties, early sixties when they perhaps write their first uh, will, and when they write their last will in their seventies or eighties. So there's a there's a lot of ground there, and there's a lot of opportunity for people to be included in a will and be taken out of a will. No doubt about it. Um, and you're right that, that what we will undoubtedly see is the rise in contested cases. As more people leave a gift in their will, we, we are seeing more contested cases. Um, and some of the great greatest successes I think I've had at Remember a Charity of when we've been able to keep some of those issues out of the press 
so 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 um i mean you'll you'll know this yourself is that sometimes it's the stuff that you do that below the waterline beneath the radar below the right where you you're able to keep that those negative pieces away because obviously they can erode trust and they create a a, a belief they compound that belief uh, misconception that it's family or charity and obviously that's a that's a risk to giving and so we do our very best to make sure that we can tell our side of the story um and make sure that people understand you can do both but inevitably there will be more contested cases and inevitably those high profile cases which we have seen you know they they, they can do damage um, so this is why you know, having a good stewardship program, being able to talk to the family where you can, and also to have, you know, um, to, to have, you know, good, great legacy administrators who do a fantastic job being able to communicate with the estate properly. So it's not just a case of thanking and banking. It's all part of the mix. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, I always think of those, particularly the sort of high profile cases of contested wills and gifts where they end up in court. It's, I mean, it's almost impossible for the charity to end up winning in any real sense, because they obviously, if it's a large amount of money, they need to to contest it if they feel that they were rightly left that money. But actually, just the process of spending money on going to court and being seen to sort of argue with the next of kin is, it's. I mean, it's a very difficult from a reputational point of view. So it's, it's just you know to avoid that situation if at all possible seems seems far preferable um do do you see uh, just one thing that occurred to me as well do you do you kind of foresee any changes in the sort of underlying way in which uh the the will writing and kind of will execution business is going to change in coming years that might really kind of materially impact on uh the the likelihood of people leaving gifts or the ease of of kind of executing them when they happen because there seems to be a lot of talk in you know, lots of areas of the legal world and banking world about, you know, the impact of the way technology is going to make things easier. I guess we've seen quite a lot of discussion during the pandemic about changes in regulations around will writing to allow things like, you know, witnessing to happen in a digital environment and that sort of thing. Do you, do you sort of, are any of those on the horizon that you think might be a big deal? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, the thing is that people, you know, there's been a long discussion about how people write a will. But the reality is people, you know, more and more people are writing their will online. Um, so it's not something that, you know, it's not a story for the future. It's a story of now. People are doing it now. And it's not just younger audiences, it's older audiences too. Um, I think one of the perhaps the challenges around uh, the, the pandemic is that um, we're going to see a consolidation within the legal sector. So the will writing firm, the high street solicitor, some of those firm sadly will never reopen um, and we'll see you know consolidation of those firms um, so remember charity we've got a network of 1400 solicitors across the UK um, you know who we work with and we encourage those solicitors to have a charitable conversation and I think that's one of the many reasons why we have seen this growth in in giving because more and more uh, advisors are having those conversations with their clients but, but, you know, perhaps there's an opportunity, sadly as it is, to when we see that consolidation of, of legal firms, is it might be easier. It might be easier to have that conversation to, to, to steward and, and, and talk to some of those firms when there are fewer, fewer firms out there. You know, the, there, is a, there is a potential. If you think of it from a charity's perspective, where you're trying to trying to reach, you know, six thousand firms across the UK who perhaps might write wills, you know, if you if, if there's some consolidation that happens, sadly, as part of the pandemic, it might make you know an opportunity for for richer, deeper conversations to 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 really champion the importance of legacy conversations with 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 those fewer firms. The other thing I would say is that what we've done. And I think, you know, this is great credit to the charity sector working very well, exceptionally well with, with another sector in that we've seen these new disruptors come into the market writing online wills. The software has enabled us to embed the legacy messaging. So you'll remember the work that we did back in 2013 with the cabinet office around, uh, around uh, prompting and the importance of having a charitable conversation. 
that that learning and that insight has now been embedded into a lot of the will writing software and a lot of the online uh, will writing uh, uh, providers out there in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do 10 years ago. So the legacy ask has been embedded as a process. And I think for me, that's a really exciting opportunity in the way we do things going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and a positive message uh, on which to to leave things. And I won't take up any uh, more of your time this morning. Um, I just want to say thanks ever so much for finding time to come on the podcast and just give you a chance um, to to flag any sort of final things before you leave. I know we've got Remember a Charity Week coming up in September, I think. So um, perhaps you tell people sort of when that is and what they can do as part of it. Yeah, Remember Charity Week. I mean, I th- you know, this is Remember Charity Week is an opportunity for every single organisation out there to be loud about legacies. And I don't think that's just about fundraising charities it's about the whole sector because it's the whole sector owns remember charity week in my view because it it is an opportunity for everyone to really understand how they can champion such an important area of giving so i really hope that everyone gets behind it uh, week of the 7th of september and just to be able to reflect and tell your story about why legacies are so important uh, to your organisation or to the sector. Um, and we've got loads of great things going on. We've we've also managed to get the Wombles to uh, do their first new animated film. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, really looking forward to that. But um, yeah, I hope that the whole sector continues to get behind it um, because I think it is real testament to how the charity sector is stronger when it collaborates and works together. Great. Thanks ever so much, Rob. Thank you. Okay, great. Well, my thanks again to Rob for coming on the show. Uh, As I say, I'll put links in the show notes to all of the things that that we touched on there, um, particularly kind of what Remember Charity Week is and how you can get involved. Um, If the sound editing at the end went a little bit uh, odd, apologies for that. I was having a a Tesco delivery man kind of slightly frantically ring the doorbell, so I had to to, to keep the the conversation quite short, and I may have uh, pressed some buttons wrongly, but uh, I may also have managed to magic that out in sound editing, so this may make no sense whatsoever to you. Um, If you're interested more broadly in the sorts of things that we've been talking about to do with philanthropy and charitable giving, do check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website, Uh, follow me on twitter at rodri underscore h underscore davis um, or if you're interested in stuff more to do with history and literature and academic writing about philanthropy check out at for literacy which is another feed that that i uh, look after Um, if you've got ideas for things we could do on the podcast things we could be doing better people i could be interviewing topics we'll be talking about do drop me a line at giving thought at cafonline.org other than that, just like, subscribe, tell all of your friends about it, leave us a nice review wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll see you next time. Okay, bye! Bye! <laughs>